0: Hey, good morning, everybody. So, uh, uh, Robbie's not here. She's back, uh, doing a kid's class, uh, as a substitute. And this gives me a chance to talk about her while she's not around. So keep it between us. But, uh, here's the thing. So this month, at the end of this month, she and I are going to be celebrating our 39th year of marriage. And, and I can still remember the first time I ever saw her, uh, So we met in the crazy church, and you've heard me talk about the crazy church that I was part of. And just real quick, it was an independent charismatic church that was abusive and and all kinds of problems, A part something that we were a part of in our formative years as Christians, but then subsequently left in Eastgate as a result of that. Either way, one of the tenets of the crazy church was that if you're gonna really be a spiritual person, you need to to be there and you know be on the front row. So like you guys are the the spiritual ones here, based on the crazy church uh, uh, mentality. So what we would do is we'd get there way before the church even was opened, and we'd line up. And there so there you know be a line you know ten deep uh, of people waiting at the door to be able to get in. As soon as they unlocked the door, literally we were racing down the aisles to get down there and get our front row seat because how else is everybody going to know how holy you are uh, if, if you're not there uh, so one day I, I happened to you know I had my my perch my front row perch where I could you know, show off how holy I was uh, to everybody and I happened to look to my left and there was this beautiful girl who was right around my age and I was just like whoa I hadn't really seen her before and uh, you know it just kind of it just kind of I don't know, dropped into my mind and in my heart. That's your wife. And, you know, she just kind of captivated me. Uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, I just... Uh, and, and she had her, her hands in the air and her eyes were closed and it was just... It was wonderful. But then immediately I felt super condemned because here I am, supposed to be the holy guy in the front row, worshiping God, and instead of worshiping God, I'm scoping his babe out over here. Um, and... and uh, but in spite of how condemned that I felt at that moment, I, I just still, i couldn't take my eyes off her. I couldn't stop thinking about her. Uh, and I finally got to meet her. And I'm just saying, I was determined. I was determined. I was going to win this girl's heart. And, and, and when we met, we did not get along at all. Uh, uh, first of all, I, went by, I used to go by Robbie. My name used to be Robbie. And so when we got introduced, it was like, Robbie, meet... Robbie, and so I knew right then okay i got to change my name this isn't going to work, and she walked away from that i 've heard saying, "You know this is never going to work' uh... <laughs> and listen we didn 't have very many shared interests, and she did not enjoy my attempts at humor i can 't figure that out, but none of that changed how I felt about her. she you know it was unrequited at first because i I felt that she did not feel it. Uh, I wanted a relationship with her long before. She wanted that from me. And what's amazing is that's an attitude of heart that God is going to be communicating towards us in the text that we're going to be reading uh, this morning in Ephesians. I know many of us have struggled in this life because we live in this broken world and grow up in the midst of the pain of it. I know many of us have struggled to to know whether or not, uh, you know, we're we're loved or known. I know people have grown up hearing things like, you were an accident or we didn't plan on having you or you were a mistake or you'll never amount to anything. Some people have lost relationships and have been abandoned or forsaken or abused and wonder if their existence has any meaning at all or significance. And if that was your experience then I really want you to pay close attention to the words we're going to be reading in Ephesians today because these are God's Word to you. If you feel alone, if you feel unwanted, unimportant, unvalued or purposeless, I beg you to listen closely to what it is God communicates through His Word In what we're going to read today, we're coming back to our study that we started last week in the book of Ephesians. And if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to head over to Ephesians chapter 1, please. We began by just reading the first two verses uh, where Paul introduced himself and he identified his intended readers as holy people or saints. And we spent some time considering what the implications of that would be to us because, as followers of Christ, we are his intended readers. So this applies to us now today we're going to read paul's opening proper and in the greek his opening is a a poem or some have said it's a song Uh, it doesn't really come off like that when we translate it into english in fact in the greek verses 3 through 14 are just one long run-on sentence which makes it terrible grammar in english but in the original text it's supposed to be beautiful and lyrical uh we're going to look at this opening today, and I just want to say that this part of Paul's letter does not lend itself well to didactic exegesis. And what I mean is, it is hard to break a poem down into applicable teaching points, uh, you know, in something. For one thing, it kind of does disservice to the nature of a poem, which is meant to immerse you in an experience through language. That's the, the, the job description of poetry but also attempts at at scrutinizing the words of a poem to extract some sort of life application will usually fall well short of of the intended meaning of a poem. So it's kind of difficult to to work through that. So with that in mind, I'm going to do my best to bridge the gap between aesthetics and analytics, and, and we'll try to get the sweep of what Paul is saying in this text, and then we will consider what that can mean to us, how we can look at that and and understand ourselves and understand God better. Uh, The poem has three movements, and we're going to read each one, and then we'll talk about how it can affect our understanding of our relationship to God. Does that sound like a plan? Does that work for everybody? Uh, Stephanie? you can hear me in there uh can we turn the air conditioner to like a little warmer because it is freezing and if i'm freezing then i know there's a lot of people that are freezing yeah so oh there we go blake is gonna blake is the man he will take care of it so if you're there in ephesians chapter one we're going to pick up where we left off starting with verse three and and remember remember what i was saying about wanting this relationship with Robbie before she ever wanted it with me, before she even really knew me. Keep that in mind as we read about God. Ephesians one, verse three. All praise to God. I love the way he begins this because it echoes back to the to the Hebrew uh, Shema Baruch Atah Adonai. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. All right, let those words sweep over you for a moment. This isn't so much a a teaching point as it is a declaration. And what Paul is declaring in this poem is that God has always loved and wanted us as his family. He has always loved humanity. He has always loved you and has wanted you as part of his family. God begins by praising God the Father, the, the divine parent, one of the chief ways in which God tries to reveal himself to us, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, when we read spiritual, because we're, we're modern Westerners, we think non-material. When we hear spiritual, non-material, but but that's not Paul's meaning. He's describing God's realm. The Father has blessed us. We could say the Father has made us whole by connecting our lives, that we live here with God's realm, uh, with God's intent and purposes through Jesus. So we're just, in other words, we're not just, you know, kicking rocks on the mud ball that we live on waiting to expire. We are connected to someone and something so much bigger that helps us make sense of this mud ball that we're on. We didn't know it. Uh, we still have to believe it. But God wanted us long before we ever wanted him. It has always been his plan to be united with humanity as family. From the story in Genesis onward, the focus has been squarely on us as human beings uh, uh, in the biblical narrative, on, on God's intent and purposes and plans for us. And Paul uses the, the language of the Old Testament here, terminology like chosen, points us back to Abraham, who was chosen from all the people of the earth to be the means through which God was going to bring his blessing to all the nations of the earth. In Genesis 12, 3, that's what God says to him when he first introduces himself to him. Through you, Abraham, through you and your family, I'm going to bless. bring." And he's using the same terminology of blessing. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. This is what he's talking about. This is what it connects back to. God's intent to, to reconcile and bring us back into relationship with him to, to, you know, to bless the whole world through this. And that blessing, which, which Paul is invoking here, comes to us in Christ. That is, we are now participants in God's plan to bless the whole world. We, corporately, are God's family. Through our commitment to Jesus. And, and it is through that family that He is bringing blessing to the nations. And Paul gives us the stunning why for God adopting us. Why it is God brought us all into this? Because He wanted to. Didn't get more basic than that. He gave Him great pleasure. It's what He wanted. God wanted us, has always wanted us as a family. Now my family, growing up, it was a, it was pretty much a mess. I mean, I really didn't know my dad. He was a well-respected and well-revered evangelist within, you know, the church tradition that he was part of. And he was known and loved, but he was on the road all the time. I never really knew him. I, I was always shocked when he would show up at our house and I'd be like, well, who are you and where do you live? And that sort of thing. Uh, He and my mom split up when I was nine, and she was a working single mom, and she had a lot going on in her own stuff, and I totally get that. My brother and I were five years apart in age, and so I was pretty much adrift. I didn't really have a family, so, you know, so much, and by age 16, I moved out on my own. I was, you know, I, and a 16-year-old turned loose in the world, it didn't take me long to make a terrible mess of my life. And when I turned to Jesus, I came to him, I surrendered my heart to him at age 20, and my very first prayer, very first thing that I asked him was, give me a family. I want a family. I really would love that. And so, you know, as I said, I met Robbie, and over time, (laughs) things turned around, and we actually got married. It was pretty wonderful, and I remember when Jessica, my oldest daughter, was born, and and I was holding her on my arm. She was so tiny. I was holding her there. And I remember I had tears <laughs> running down my face. And I just said, I've been waiting for you. I've wanted you so much in my life. That's the idea that Paul is trying to communicate about God's heart towards us all along. All along, he's wanted us. He's worked towards being united with us as his family, and in Christ, we now belong. We belong to him. The trick is, we have to believe it. (laughs) And there's a lot of things at work in this world to try to keep us from believing that. It's not easy, but as we're reading this text that's been passed to us through 2,000 years of history, allow it to wash over you. You are loved by God. He has always wanted you. He's always longed to be in family with you. That is the core of who you are. That is reality. Anything else is a pseudo-reality. The reality is God loves you. Build your identity from that. Okay, so building on what he's been putting here in his poem, we come to the second movement. And it's actually central to, well, it's central to the poem, but it's central really to the whole letter. We could say it's central to the gospel, and we'll look at it, uh, starting in verse six. Remember, God wants us. It's His pleasure to adopt us. Verse six. So, we praise God for the glorious grace He's poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. So this is how we know that we are holy and without fault before him or in his eyes, as he said back in verse 4, because of what Jesus has done for us, taking the consequence of sin to himself and and washing us of those sins. Verse 8, he showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And here we go. This is the big deal. Verse 10, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Now, Paul uses the term uh, apocalypsis in verse 9, where it says uh, he's revealed to us about what Christ, his, his purpose is. And remember, uh, you know, that apocalypsis is the word that we get our English word ap- ap- apocalypse from. And in the Bible, when we're reading that terminology, we remember, you know, we think apocalypse, we think Mad Max and the end of the world and all of that. But that is not what it means. Uh, apocalypse it means revealing or unveiling. There's... Taking a and yeah, please let's let's forget my stupid stuff. Let's try to remember the good stuff here together. There was a game show uh, back when I was growing up. I think it's still around. I'm not sure. Uh, we're con- called Mes- Let's Make a Deal. Ever anybody familiar with that? Show is that, you know, contestants would make deals for prizes and cash and, and, and sometimes they'd be offered a blind deal. Remember? You know, you can, you know, give you so much for what's behind the curtain and if they went ahead and, and made the deal for that, then they'd have to do what? They'd reveal what's behind, show them what's behind the curtain and it'd either be a, you know, a car or a goat or whatever. (laughs) But the point is, That's apocalypsis. That's revealing. That's the revelation there that they've been, you know, seeing what's behind the curtain that they've been anticipating or been waiting for. And that's the idea here. God has pulled back the curtain to reveal what His plan has been, what the purpose of Messiah is. And in verse 10, we get the big reveal. At the appointed time, God will unite everything. Under the Messiah's kingship. Everything in heaven and on earth. That means a return to original creation. A return to what God originally intended for all of this. Uh, A reunited heaven and earth. Uh, so, So this is the second and central declaration that Paul makes in his poem. And that is that God's intent is to restore all things through Jesus who is the Messiah. This was God's plan. This is what the gospel is. And we've said it many times. I'm just going to keep saying it as long as I possibly can until I run out of breath. But the gospel is not just I get to go to heaven when I die. The gospel, the good news is this, that God has come into this world to set all things right. And this is the part of the, the process. God has always loved us and wanted us as family. And his plan has always been to set everything right that has gone so wrong. This is the central revelation of the gospel that, that this reuniting of heaven and earth and it starts in our hearts. Oh that rhymes. So I'm doing my own poem, but it starts here within us where we are now united with Jesus the Messiah. We we are reconciled to God through Jesus's atoning death and resurrection. This is the larger story from which Paul Wants us to, to perceive and to make sense of our lives, to make sense of this world. We may look at our smaller stories, you know, our, our individual lives and assume there's insignificance there. You know, there's nothing special about me. I don't know, you know, I'm barely even noticed. I don't feel like I contribute much of anything, but that's the myopic perspective that Paul wants to lift us up from. He's saying God has poured on us his grace and kindness and freedom and forgiveness and given us wisdom so that we can now be participants in this bigger story of what God's doing in setting all things right. God's big, epic story of restoration for all things. When we're united with Christ, we're united with his great plan of redemption for everything, for all nations, for this whole broken and busted up world. So, I, you know, I can hear, you know, the, but Rob, you know, how does my working as a dishwasher have anything to do with reuniting heaven and earth? Because you're not just a dishwasher. You never were. You're an agent of God's intended redemption who happens to be doing the dishes at the moment. But who you are is that agent of God's great restoration project. When we've received God's grace and forgiveness and freedom, we now carry that grace into the world, wherever we are, whatever's going on. We are harbingers. We're forecasts of what it is that's coming, of what it is that he intends. Yeah, yeah, okay. I get what you're saying, but I don't feel all that redeemed, if you know what I mean. I don't know that I'm, I'm living like heaven has met earth. And okay. All right. Fair enough. That's the practical side of things, and we'll be getting to that later on in this letter. But for now, Paul's making declarations of truth in this poem. And if we can accept, if we can receive and and adopt that as our reality, it will begin to change some things. that, That truth that he's declaring is no matter how we may perceive ourselves and our stories in Christ, we are all right now, participants in the bigger story of god's restoration of the whole world and that is very significant i can't think of anything more significant than that what we've been called into okay so then this takes us to the third movement of the poem verses 11 to 14 god has always loved us wanted us as family his plan is to reunite creation with heaven Under, under God's kingship, under Christ's kingship. Furthermore, verse 11, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purposes was, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And again, Paul, uh, so that's where we're going to quit today. The, 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 Paul returns to terminology from Israel where Abraham was chosen among all the people to be the family through whom the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he points out, God first called the Jewish people to carry the promise. And and we clearly see that in Paul's thinking, the Jewish people then gets condensed down to the one person of Jesus, who is the means by which this promise is fulfilled, by which this inheritance comes to pass, the inheritance of a restored creation. All the nations would be blessed. So... The chosen Jewish people produced Jesus and the Jewish people believe on him. And now we Gentiles have also heard and also believe and become part of the same inheritance. That promise of blessing and restoration is what he's saying. Now we all, regardless of what our family background is, we all get in on because of our trust in Christ. And how can we know that we're part of this inheritance? He says because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. This is our guarantee, like a certificate uh, of down payment. This is proof that you're part of this, that you belong to God's family and are included in this great plan of restoration. Now, I know that's a lot. (laughs) That's, 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 you know, there's some dense theology in this that has to be thought through we have to take our time to think through it again i don't feel like we do service to this if we just start breaking down every word and trying to figure it all out this is poetry it's intended to be poetry to catch us into the sweep of the thing so if i were to try to pair all of this poetic theological language down to a single sentence i believe paul is declaring here that the holy spirit's influence on our lives reveals our family resemblance to god reveals that we are part of this great family. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago, he says in verse 13. And and what's he talking about there? You know, we do have to kind of puzzle that through. We know that Jesus promised his disciples that when he departed, when he ascended back to the Father, that the Holy Spirit would come and lead us into all truth. That is, he'd lead us into the life that God intended for us and you can read about that in john's gospel chapter 14 or chapter 16 when the holy spirit descended on the church in acts chapter 2 it was revolutionary in the life of these early believers in jesus they were fundamentally changed and they went and turned the world upside down and robert was talking about that in that song that he introduced today you know like there's all these big things you know you could do that too and that's cool and we you know but is that what paul is talking about Grand supernatural events that that follow us everywhere we go. I mean, I'm someone who, like Robert said, we should always be on the lookout and open to God doing supernatural things through us and remarkable things. But when Paul said this was promised long ago, he's looking further back than just the Gospels or the book of Acts. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and in other places in the prophets, God promised to evoke a fundamental change in the people who are his own, in his covenant people. And look at Ezekiel 36. And his covenant people would be us who believed on him. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you'll follow my decrees. And he goes on to say, this is basically a fundamental change is going to be taking place in the lives of those who believe on him, who follow him. This is what Paul is referring to when he said God promised the spirit long ago. This is what he's talking about when he says the Holy Spirit is the signal that we're now part of God's inheritance, part of God's redeemed family. The very fact that we are here today interested in what God says in his word, the very fact that we have a desire Whatever amount that reveals itself in our lives, a desire to live as God intended us to live, whether we do it well or not, that desire is an indicator that God's Spirit is within us, that His Spirit is at work in us, seeking to direct us in right ways. It reveals, like I'm saying... The the very fact that we're here and we want to learn this and we want to be who God wants us to be, whether we stumble or fall or do this well, is an indicator. The Holy Spirit is here and at work and it reveals whose family we belong to. We're part of his family. Listen, the Holy Spirit inhabits us according to Romans and Ephesians and Corinthians. The moment we trust in Jesus as the way to a relationship with God, The moment we determine to follow Him, to follow His teachings, His ways to submit our lives to Him, something in us changes. It may be a dramatic experience. Some people have had very dramatic experiences when they come into this relationship with God. It may be something imperceptible. I've known plenty of people who never really felt that much different initially, but God's Spirit, no matter what we're feeling, takes up residence in us. And that prompting we have To do what's good, to speak what's right, to love and not to to destroy our neighbor, to put others first, to praise God, to be generous, to help or to heal. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And it shows our family resemblance to God. And it's a signpost for what it is that God intends to do for this whole world, to put it all back to right. Now I've said this before, maybe I even shared this with you recently, but my son Bradley—he he totally inherited my voice. Like uh, you know, we sound so much alike that that my granddaughter was actually startled to hear her dad's voice coming out of me when I went to visit one time. She was like you know, distressed over the whole thing. So he's got this family resemblance with me. You know, he stole my voice. But but here's the thing: for a while, when he was a teenager and we had a landline. Back in the old days, we used to have telephones that were connected to the wall, and we called it a landline. Yeah, and it would ring in the middle of the house, and the whole family would have to run around and try to, you know, get it or or whatever. But so back when we had a landline in our house, if someone would call for me and he would answer, they would think they were talking to me. And he wouldn't correct them. And, and what's worse is that he would l- listen to them and then say things totally inappropriate or or out of character for me, you know, because he thought it was funny. Uh, and it would cause all of this confusion. And I am still not laughing uh, about that. But there's the thing, right? Like, we may have this family resemblance, but we need to, to carry it out appropriately. We may have the Holy Spirit within us, but we still have to yield to the prodding of the Holy Spirit and the voice of God's Spirit. We still have to overcome those patterns that are encoded in us by the fall, as Paul explains it in Romans chapter 7. We're expected to use that family resemblance appropriately. And still, though, the very fact that we want to follow his ways, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives shaping us in ways that we can't even recognize all the time. And that reveals that we are one of God's own, one of God's children, part of this great inheritance where God is going to restore all things. So that's Paul's opening poem. So do you wonder if you're loved? Hear it from God. He has always loved you. He has always wanted you. As part of his family. Do you feel insignificant or without any value? I mean, maybe that's God calling now. I don't know. But but hear from God. Hear from God, you are significant. You are part of his big plan to set this whole world right. You are part of that plan. Do you feel isolated, like you don't belong, like no one sees you? Hear it from God. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that you belong. You belong to God. You belong to his church. And all the boundaries have been removed. All of the things that the world could consider barriers are removed in him. We are all together in Jesus. I find that extremely good news. So let's go out and live that family resemblance Let's go out and, and remember who we are. I know that there's a lot of other voices in this world. I know the static is intense. And it, it has a tendency to want to push us down. And, and the biggest the, 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 the biggest off uh, offshoot of that is that we forget who we are. But if just for this moment today, you'll hear God saying to you, I love you. I have always loved you. I've wanted you in my family. Oh, if you'll hear it, it can change how you perceive yourself. We can go out and live out the reality of God's good plan at work in this world. Let's live out heaven here on earth and let's be grateful to God. Like Paul said, he did all this. It should result in gratitude and glory to his name. So let's do that. Let's be grateful for who we are in him. Right on. Right on. All right, very cool. Why don't you stand with me, if you will, please. God, we are so grateful to you for what you've provided for us through Jesus. And, Lord, we live in a time and a place where we have limitations on our language that, that make it impossible to fully express Our hearts, our gratitudes, even our questions sometimes are beyond our ability to be able to communicate. But the knowledge that you know us, you know everything about us. You know all those secret little hidden nooks and crannies that each of us has in our own hearts, and our own lives. You know it. And yet, your declaration is, you love us. You have always loved us. Father, let that revelation, let that apocalypse dawn in our hearts and in our minds. Help us, Father, to accept, to receive, and to believe in your love for us. And let that make us into life-changing agents in this world who represent heaven on earth. Help us be people of the overlap. I pray that for us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.